Hello and welcome, friends, to this week's edition of Truth to Power. I'm Justin Mogg, a programmer here on Four Word Radio. We're your community radio station, broadcasting from the top of the historic Hayburn Building here at 106.5 FM and live streaming to the world at forwardradio.org. And that is the place to go, my friends, to become a part of this community radio station. Uh, we want you to be a part of it. We want your voices uh, on these microphones, and, and we want your help behind the scenes. So go to FordRadio.org, click Participate, uh, become a part of the station today. And while you're there, click on Donate, chip in 20 bucks, and you can sponsor this entire day's broadcast. We really rely on listeners to support the good work going on here at Ford Radio, so you can help us out today. Uh, what we do here on Truth to Power is gather folks from around the community for a conversation about important issues of the day. And uh, we've touched on this issue before on the program, but uh, today we're going to return to the issue of the petrochemical build-out in the Ohio River Valley and what people over Petro are doing to resist that. I'm really excited to have four different guests joining me in the studio from around the Ohio Valley region. We're going well beyond Kentucky and Louisville today uh, to, to talk to folks from around the region who are resisting this petrochemical build-out uh, and folks who were able to participate in the uh, July 16th and 17th uh, petrochemical uh, Northeast Petrochemical Conference, it's called, the, the, the conference and exhibition of the petrochemical industry uh, with the sort of uh, amazingly ironic title of Drive Development, Transform Technologies, Increase Sustainability. That was the theme of this conference. Uh, and we had a bunch of folks from People Over Petro able to join because the conference went virtual this year. So they weren't able to do the, the in-person actions they had originally planned for when it was going to be in Pittsburgh. Uh, but they were able to get an inside scoop on what the industry's perspective is. Uh, so we, I guess, can better resist it, right? Uh, so joining me in the virtual studio today are uh, our good friend Alice Melendez from Extinction Rebellion, Kentucky. Welcome, Alice, to the program. Hey, it's nice to talk to you again. Yeah, it's great to have and, you uh, here. Be with this crew from upriver yeah that's right <laughs> our, and our upriver friends include uh let's go in order of the river mary aguilera is joining us from the buckeye environmental network and the ohio poor people's campaign she is joining us from cincinnati welcome mary uh, yeah i am honored to be here with an amazing group of people that work hard every day to to but the well-being of, of everyone along the river. So yeah. thank you for having us, Justin. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. And then we have a couple friends joining us from Pittsburgh, uh, the, the origin of this river. Kelsey McNault is joining us. She's uh, with the Climate Reality Project. Welcome, Kelsey. Thank you so much. It's really good to be here and to be doing the work with everyone on this call. Yay. And lastly, we have Josh Eisenfeld also joining us from Pittsburgh. He's uh, with the Fair Shake Environmental Legal Services and People Over Petro. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having us on the show. All right. So uh, this is a great diverse group of folks uh, doing this good work. Anyone want to start with sort of uh, an overview of, of, about the build out, what's already happened, what we're afraid about coming down the road and, and how that all motivated you to get involved in uh, attending this conference? I'll go ahead. Um, so I got involved in the work um, around Arsenko. Um, Arsenko is the Ohio River Valley Water Sanitation Commission. Yeah. And they were put in place basically to 
from what I understand, um, keep people from fighting over who polluted the river. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> um, they were, tra- I, you know, we believe that they saw what was coming. They saw this build out coming. They saw that basically didn't want to be held accountable and, and them meaning certain commissioners that have other interests in mind, okay. let's, let's say. Um, and so got involved around that work and basically they made it so that um, each state could choose whether they wanted to adopt the Orsanko pollution control standards, which really makes it null and void because if Ohio adopts them and then West Virginia doesn't, like, what's the point, you know, um, because it's all just going to come down our way. <laughs> so, so that's how I got involved. And then that led to finding out about the petrochemical hub and finding out how apocalyptic it's going to be. Um, and it really, um, really made it so I, I didn't have a choice. I had to get involved. I had to, to because um, it will change our life as we know it. Um, and then I'm also with the Poor People's Campaign involved with people that are um, in Louisiana and have been dealing with these struggles for years. And, and um, so it's all connected. All these issues are all connected. And I just feel like it's work that has to be done right now. Yeah, it really is all connected. And it, it and working on this shows us how we all are, are all connected, right, in the Ohio River Valley. Alice, you've been you've been fighting this good fight for a while. It's certainly what motivated you to start a Kentucky chapter of Extinction Rebellion, right? You you want to talk about some of those connections and and why the Ohio River Valley is such an important uh, piece of the petrochemical puzzle, I guess. Yeah, to start, I'll I'll try to do a, just the the short story yeah. um, about what the petrochemical hub build out is. Like, what do we mean when we say build out? Uh huh. And so I lived in Houston for six years and lived around the port of Houston, the ship channel. And um, actually, I was a delivery driver going back in these refineries. Like I've lived right in the, the like 1940s worker housing that was built to build the early refineries mm. is the house I got wow. when the market collapsed. And so I actually found a pipe fitters manual in a shed. It was, it's amazing. And like <laughs> the technology is amazing. You know, what, what we we got this burst of, you know, fossilized <laughs> solar energy that yep. has like fed our civilization and allowed us to you know, have all these advances in pharmaceuticals and chemistry and everything. But we can, we're like on the edge of this transition yeah. where oil's getting harder to get. And so here comes hydraulic fracturing, you know, fracking to get some of this harder to get oil. And that's what's brought the petrochemical industry to our bioregion. So, like, I'm born and raised in Kentucky, you know, kind of the gateway to the Appalachian Mountains. I'm in the Ohio River watershed, but not too close to the river. And uh, we're all being brought into this petrochemical, like, the actual extraction, because the easy-to-get oil that's far away in places where Americans don't have to see the mining is gone. And now we're pushing into this um, Utica and Marcellus shale of Pennsylvania and West Virginia and Ohio. And the people in the industry can feel that there's a transition coming because of climate change and because of the easy to get oils gone. And so the amount of the energy return on your investment in oil is dropping. You have to spend a lot more energy to get more energy out. And so there's certain people who basically are, are going to make their money as long as we take the oil that, that they've 
staked out and they want to make sure that that oil gets used, that that gas gets used and that those natural gas liquids components that's with the natural gas, that their stuff gets burned. <laughs> They've had a hard time getting pipelines down from the Marcellus region down to Louisiana. They've gotten, we blocked the bluegrass pipeline, which was going to come through Kentucky. Kinder Morgan tried to take the Tennessee pipeline and reverse a 70 year old pipeline through all these compressor stations. It was like bound to blow. It failed. Other pipelines more recently, you know, in the Atlantic pipeline, all these pipelines are getting blocked. And they said, hey, let's bring the refining capacity right to the raw materials. Wow. If we can build a refinery complex in the Ohio River Valley, we've got the raw natural gas and natural gas liquids right there. We've got the refining capacity and we've got the markets because we can ship to, you know, we can reach New York and Chicago and St. Louis all within a day. Hmm. I mean, many other city names. And so they're trying to bring a, a refinery complex on the scale of Houston, which is getting flooded out by Hurricane Harvey and people are having to pack chemicals, you know, up over their heads when their forklifts are underwater to keep the thing from exploding. There's amazing stories from Hurricane Harvey. Wow. And they said, wait, we've got a safe harbor inland with a good big river because we need water power to be able to run our industry. Industry doesn't run without a river to dump into. They need huh. water for cooling and they need water to expel waste into. And they're passing all this legislation um, for injection wells so they can dump the chemicals back underground, which I think Josh knows a whole lot more than I do about. Um, uh, maybe other, all of you know more about that than <laughs> I do, but I mean, I'm following all these so many pieces. And um, the idea is to make a big storage hub to store the, the that the, the federal government would invest in a storage hub, which, as usual, the federal government is footing the bill for the infrastructure that the industry needs because they're getting paid by industry so that we can burn up all these last hydrocarbons, which we do better to save for a thousand years. And uh, maybe we'll be better at using them then and maybe we'll really want them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's one take on, on summing it up. Uh, Pittsburgh, <laughs> what, do you, yeah. what do you see? Yeah, I want to hear from Alice, Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think, I think Alice just laid it all out. Uh, better than I've ever heard before. <laughs> uh, you know, She's good at I, that. Alt, what Alice just said really laid everything out very clearly and showed the interconnected nature, but really showed like that this is just a value proposition. The reason why they're moving from one place to another, as they have for you know the entire existence of, of any major, that they're just moving to the area of least resistance. Oh, okay. You know, I think that's exactly what Allison laid out for us, right? Like, okay, pipelines are getting harder to build. Let's build it in a place that's close to the resources and also close to the supply chain. I think one of the one of the things that we had thought about, I had thought about here, and they keep saying, you know, that these petrochemical facilities will be close to the end user of the products, the people mm. who are going to make into something that they're going to use. And, and, you know, being that Pittsburgh is like the home, for example, of, of Heinz ketchup, I think one of the things right. we always think about is like, this is going to be turned directly into ketchup bottles, right? <laughs> so they're getting closer to the end product. They're also getting closer to where their product, their feedstock lies, which is in the, the gas fields, the gas patch in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. They are also, like Alice pointed out, cutting out the pipelines because they're getting harder to, to create. And they're also putting themselves right on one of the biggest rivers mm. in our country. One that has a legacy of pollution, which makes it harder for communities 
to claim that their, their river is being polluted. Right. That's a really, really important point that they, they go to easily exploitable communities. That is their MO. And, and it's terrible to say it. It feels terrible to hear it come out of my own mouth, but that's, <laughs> that's really what, what these industries do. So when they talk about corporate responsibility and they talk about moving towards a green future, you, you, you hear that, but you, you have to understand really what their goal is, which is themselves to make themselves better. Right. So the industry has an internal logic, right? Like if you look at it, and, and I think that's what folks who participated in this conference really picked up on, right? Like if you if you zoom out from the corporate perspective and look in, there are even some environmentally responsible reasons for talking about doing the build out here, right? Versus somewhere else. Uh, you could also talk about like jobs and, and, and we have more worker protections here in America than if we say outsource this to a, some distant land or something like that. But it doesn't have any logic when we look at it from the the perspective of global climate crisis, right? Uh, and it's interesting that that crisis is not ignored by the industry. Does anyone want to want to share their thoughts about that? Like, how do we even live in this space of of insanity where where the folks who are in the petrochemical industry can be talking about climate change as if they care about it, right? <laughs> yeah, um, this is Kelsey. I can speak to that a little bit. Great. So in attending the conference, it was really interesting to see that there was kind of a divide between a lot of the industry folks, that there were some folks in the industry who talk in a way that we're used to sort of seeing mm. um, that kind of climate denial, like we need to keep moving with fossil fuels and carbon is the future and all yeah. those talking points. And that's something we would maybe expect from someone in the fossil fuel industry. Um, and so there's pretty obvious reasons why um, we don't like to hear those kinds of things. But what's <laughs> even more complex is listening to the industry folks that are saying that they believe in the Paris Climate Agreement and mm -hmm. that they agree that we need to reach a carbon neutral society and we need to limit uh, global climate change to a two degree mm -hmm. um, Celsius point. And when you hear industry folks talking in that way, it can sound like um, that I guess that they're on our side, that they're <laughs> um, fighting for the environment and against the climate crisis. But if you really look into the ways that industry is saying that they're going to do that, it's a lot of false solutions and it's very misleading. And so you hear promises of carbon capture technology. Um, this is technological right. solutions that right. are very iffy and there haven't been, there hasn't <laughs> been overwhelming success um, in We're reducing really proven, carbon emissions. Right? It's theoretical at this point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you hear things like that and you hear too that, industry may be taking steps to reduce some of their own carbon emission. This could look like something like using more fuel efficient trucks to mm. transport their product, which sounds well and good, but you have to remember that the product that they're transporting itself is a fossil fuel, is something that's driving the climate crisis. And so these tiny changes in sustainability, um, it just really doesn't add up to solving the climate crisis seems like part of it's just straight like greenwashing, but part of it is about accessing incentives, like tax incentives for greenness. So mm. like they're the part of the infrastructure of the industry 
is to like design and receive subsidies from the federal government, including like, for example, the federal government putting up an $80 million loan guarantee to build the Appalachian storage hub so that their raw materials would be close and handy. Right. Um, how convenient or you know, building roads and that kind of thing, but also just direct subsidies, which Josh, you, you were talking about that and I, I, but I didn't get to really hear that whole conversation with you. And I would really appreciate it if you'd share some more thoughts about yeah. that. Yeah. Line. I mean, what Alice said and, and what Kelsey said is, is right. This is like, it's, it's greenwashing. And it's also, once again, just like classic industry tactics. They're, <laughs> they're going to follow the market, right? The market because of, and, and also older generations who have been around for a long time, who have kept this little niche of the market there uh, are, are pushing corporate responsibility on a number of levels, but definitely on this you know, pressing issue of how are we going to save this planet? So industry that's your job is to ruin the planet and you have this pressing problem of your market. We're going to divest from fossil fuels and it's, it's moved that divest movement is, is changing from like this fringe issue uh, to something that's actually talked about in mainstream media. You're going to have to do something about it. And so what they're doing is they're, they're buying up companies that are investing in, green infrastructure, new technologies that are green based. Like one of the things I've seen people talk a lot about is, uh, you know, or you've probably seen the commercials for like Exxon talking about their like algae technology yeah, and, right, and who knows right. what the heck that that's doing. <laughs> and, you know, you have BP has like entire solar fields and wind farms and they're doing that not because they care, but because they're trying to capture that market too, because they have no choice because they, they are seeing their stock prices fall at, at first slowly, now extremely rapidly. But they're just, they're, I think it's very, it's very important to state that they're doing what they have to do and they're doing it about a decade too late. Well, and they're, <laughs> so, but they're doing it in advance of the real crash because they are going to position their companies to survive on the other side of the transition. So right. like Royal mm -hmm. Dutch Shell was a merchant ship right. company. <laughs> like Rockefeller did other stuff like before they <laughs> exactly oil like so yeah. they're positioning their companies to be relevant on the other side at the same time that they want to get as many dollars as they can out of the current system it's it's that's part of the the cynicism of so like they're the both tactics there's the tactic of saying you know we're we're, we're moving green and then like kind of slow walking it to like leach every bit of resources out of the current system paradigm as possible and be ready to jump over and say chemistry is still needed. Like we're going to need chemicals. People are kind of chemical dependent and we'll be more responsible making them. We promise when, when mm. there's really no, when we're really against the wall, but they're not really against the wall yet. They're just like hinting at mm. a future where they'll still be relevant. And then people saying that sort of directly correlating carbon, you know, burning fossil fuels is equal to progress, carbon, burning more carbon is equal to more life expectancy, less infant mortality, more individual freedoms, because they're just tracking the historical curve of, you know, the industrial revolution, <laughs> which is going to track carbon and is going to track these societal transformations, um, you know, that it, it allowed 
for urbanization and machine power replaced human and animal muscle power in the fields, which, you know, let people specialize more and it created this overproduction, which led to our consumer society, which seemed nice at first because people were <laughs> playing to the peasants. So people, instead of the peasants just like slaving for the overlords, they were like, peasants, you want this. This makes you feel like an overlord. <laughs> and like we did that whole thing. But we're on the cusp of another trans transformation and like people can see it coming both people in the industry and out of the industry can see the transformation both because of limits to how much pollution we can dump we're talking toxics and co2 itself hello you know siberia is on fire unstable melting permafrost is leading to a massive oil spill in you know siberia jellyfish are taking over the ocean the reefs are dying off there's a biodiversity crash from our gut biomes to like all terrestrial vertebrates to all the invertebrates to the oceans, you know, Hurricane Harvey's flood into the refineries, cancer alleys back to we're here, we are here. And so it's like the transformation is coming both. And, and so they want to position themselves as the future at the same time that they're stretching out this false narrative. It's kind of like fantasy story about how when fossil fuels wins, everybody wins. So like yeah. your life yeah, is I've better because of carbon too. But in reality, A, if you live close to refineries, your life isn't getting better because you're being directly poisoned. And like that, that area is coming home now that we're getting into the the shale plays in our region. Um, but also, you know, maybe up to a point more carbon equaled more awesome car, you know, quality of life. But at this point, you know, 3% GDP growth per year does not mean growing money in the pockets of working people or increased security or enjoyment. Like families are falling apart. Yeah. And so it's not working anymore. It's just that they want to position themselves as a the future and say carbon has never been anything but up, up, up. Good, good, good. Because it's a story <laughs> that benefits. It's a self-serving story. Before before Mary jumps in, I just want to quickly remind listeners that you're tuned in to Forward Radio with me, Justin Mogg. We're doing Truth to Power, and we are speaking some truth to the powerful <laughs> petrochemical industry today. And I love the way Alice Melendez just put it, uh, joining us from Extinction Rebellion, Kentucky. Uh, by the way, you can learn more about that work at xrebelky.org or find them on Facebook at xrebelky. Uh, also joining us are four, three other friends from the Ohio River Valley that are resisting the petrochemical build-out uh, with the People Over Petro Coalition. Uh, we've got in Pittsburgh, Kelsey McNault from the Climate Reality Project and Josh Eisenfeld, uh, also from People Over Petro. And uh, Mary Aguilera is joining us from the Buckeye Environmental Network and the Ohio Poor People's Campaign in Cincinnati. Go ahead, Mary, say what you wanted to say. Yeah, it was kind of my Poor People's Campaign hat on, you know, talking about false narratives. You know, it's like this whole industry is really built on false narratives. And and it's narrative that the fracking industry is making money. Hmm. You know, they, they are losing their shirts and they have all this gas. And they, it's, to me, and I'd be interested if somebody else 
feels this way. It's like when the corn, we had all that excess corn. So right. they, it was kind of like, oh, what do we do with all this? Oh, let's put it in food, you know? And then everything now has corn syrup in it, yeah. you know? So, and it's that same mentality, like, okay, so what are we going to do with all this gas, you know, that we're not making any money? Okay, let's let's build a petrochemical hub and let's make single-use plastics. And, and, and so for me, just the reason why they're allowed to do this, you know, these issues, why, why they're allowed to prey on people and prey on communities um, that are impacted the, the most are because, you know, of living wages, there's no living wages, there's no, you know, protection for, for human rights, yeah. you know, at, at the foundation. And that's why these companies are allowed to prey on literally people <laughs> for time immemorial. So it's up to us to come together around all of these issues, not just this issue, and 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 look at the root of the problem of why these companies are allowed to do what they they they've been doing. Um, and I I have faith in the this young generation that they're they're done. You know they they're not going to take it anymore, and and um, they really understand the connectedness of all these issues. So uh, I have a lot of hope and, and faith. That, that we are transforming and this is a, a not just a, it's a turning point. It's a turning point. What about y'all in Pittsburgh? I want to, I want to come back to Josh and Kelsey because, um, when people think of Pittsburgh, they certainly think of it as, you know, the heart of American industry, right? Like, uh, and and we've seen the negative impacts that's that's had on the citizens of Pittsburgh over the years, right? Uh, but we also see something of a renaissance in, in Pittsburgh, right? Like, the, I think the city's um, trying to move in a greener direction, uh, and, and great things are happening in Pittsburgh. I love the place. Um, but, but tell us about what you all there are seeing as a vision for a way out that isn't based on the old model. Yeah, so among all of this stuff, Pittsburgh sits in a really complex place because given Pittsburgh's history as an industrial center um, with coal and steel um, in southwest Pennsylvania, and so as we're shifting away from a fossil fuel-based economy, um, it's almost a little bit of an identity crisis for the region. Mm, yeah. And so um, one thing we do see in Pittsburgh is the rise of technology companies like Google, Duolingo, and Amazon. But the problem there, I guess I'll say that in terms of the direction that Pittsburgh is going, we still have this really strong legacy of blue collar and working class people in southwestern Pennsylvania. And so it's not enough just to turn to big tech and to turn to automated or not automated, um, computerized desk jobs um, to replace yeah. um, the economy of the region. And so there's definitely a need to, to bring in these jobs that um, are going to be good union jobs that are going to protect our communities um, that also aren't going to be dependent on fossil fuels. Um, and so there's a lot of initiatives taking place in the region, a lot of them with the word reimagine in the title. And so there's definitely a lot of work that needs to be done to bring opportunities to folks in the region to replace that legacy of fossil fuels in our region. Yeah, I'll just add into that. Um, I think what, what makes this 
really complex is that you've got the Pittsburgh proper area, which which Kelsey you know named a few, you know, big tech and medical mm. is really like taking over what used to be the steel refinery and steel industry. And they're the only thing that's left of the steel mills are in the Pittsburgh area are now like historical landmarks, right? Uh, except for a few pieces here and there, almost always placed next to historically black communities or low-income communities those are the only pieces still standing but then you know the other thing is so you have a a shift for sure in the city of pittsburgh itself but what you know you move 10 minutes outside of the city and it's a different place completely Um, and that's where the desk jobs are are not going to work and and where like kelsey was saying union labor is so important and 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 i think that every person in this conversation here, I know, and and I'd say every person in in our greater environmental movement in the Ohio River Valley understands this because I don't think that's just this is not just the case in Pittsburgh. It's a case up and down the Ohio River that these are industrial communities who, if you're born there and your parents are born there, like you've got someone who worked in in, in there for their living. Um, so you know that when you're saying like we don't want any more steel mills, you're talking about like what your grandpa did mm. or what your father did. Mm. So. So we understand that. I can speak for myself when I say I definitely understand that. And, and that's why we, we focus so much on like, we want union labor jobs. We want these critical pieces of what makes us who we are, but we want to be more conscious about them. And we know that the people working those jobs have no control over that. Right. They are happy to have, to, to have a job. I mean, like for most of us, that's how most of us feel. Like I'm happy to have a job. And I would love for my job to be something that is helping the world. And I think most people feel that way. And so these reimagine initiatives that Kelsey was talking about, um, you know, Better Vision for the Valley is another example down the Ohio River Valley near the, where the PTTG ethane cracker is being proposed. Um, you know, you've got people who understand this and we're not saying we don't, we want to fight this just to take away jobs. Actually, I think we can make a really good point to say that like the fossil fuel industry per dollar is probably one of the worst job creators. They Hmm. take up so much money to create a single job compared to like hospitals, which we know our region desperately needs. And you talk about like how much money it costs to create a job for fossil fuels versus, uh, versus that, or, you know, like other options would be like, let's talk about like hemp fields. Like we know that hemp can replace plastic. We know that hemp has a ton of like great medicinal uses. And I'm not even talking about about hemp, the plant itself. There's options out there. There's deconstruction economy out there. Instead of tearing down buildings and putting them into landfills, we could be reusing those materials. And we've got tons of land along the river that we could be moving these materials up and down. And we certainly, we certainly have enough. Uh, we certainly have enough plastic in our world too, right? <laughs> like, uh, right. is industry even talking about recycling? Oh, they're talking about it, but in the sense of them burning it uh, and calling it. <laughs> So that they can make more of it. No, they they have one goal, and that's to like use up the material that they've got. And recycling doesn't help that agenda. Yeah, their throughput, like quantity of throughput, like that's that's the money. If you're a refinery, right? You take a raw material, and you that's what a refinery is. And so the more they always need to move a bigger quantity of material through, right? And it always moves to trash and it's like i love what you just said about a deconstruction industry where we could be saving materials and using them like what if our i I mean it just makes sense 
I like one of those people who like keeps containers and like gets every <laughs> all the scrap from every construction job. I run a handyman business, and like so, I'm like always coming into free materials and like my house is pie. there's you know i've got a shed and, <laughs> and another <laughs> shed and it's full of materials because i just keep thinking well someday i'll be really glad i have all these materials because eventually like it will get more expensive to make more materials and so maybe the work that we do should be a restoring our environment yeah the soils around us are destroyed and it's it's good hard work like it's physical it takes subtlety and intention it you know and, and we could invest in that like the you know with the federal government put money into it like there would be companies mm. jumping up to do that kind of remediation work you know also there's this false story about i mean well it's partly true okay about if you're supporting renewables you know you're supporting china and like the shale boom is like go usa but like the shale boom is going to be short lived. I recommend people look at shalebubble.org. It it ain't going to last. And on the other side of it, yeah, China's been investing in manufacturing solar panels for a global market because that's what they do. They manufacture for a global market. Isn't that what our politicians should be doing if mm. they were doing their job? Mm. They should be looking to the future. And spending money and spending political capital to get access to lithium and rare earth minerals and build up that kind of manufacturing capacity because eventually, like, a quantity of panels is going to get built. And then we could be shortening the supply chains and be less dependent on China. You know, we, we could bring manufacturing home, but it should be the manufacturing of the future, not the manufacturing of single-use plastics out of a shale gas play that's going to last 10 years. And then, you know, also we should work on recycling the precious minerals. I think if, if America invested in mining its dumps, you know, put all that robot technology towards <laughs> mining the dumps. There's tons of gold and lithium. It's all in the trash. It's still there. <laughs> like, eventually that'll happen, but that's tech we should start building now. And then, of course, these efficiency and retrofit jobs and local installer work. And, it you know, it doesn't pay what fossil fuel jobs pay because fossil fuels are this immensely super concentrated source of energy. But, like, that's going to change. It doesn't matter what people want or whether you wish it wouldn't change. Like, it will change. And so it's like, why not be thinking about how we adapt both the way that we work it's all it's already not working it's like opening up for us to really try some new things but we've got to help our people to think big somehow yeah inside the industry out in politics out you know everywhere and I think government plays a huge role in this. I, I don't know that you all are fully knowledgeable about it, but hey, let's talk about it. Let's put it out there and stop ignoring the elephant in the room, which is government subsidies are propping up this industry, right? They're they're the reason we have this shale bubble, right? Does anyone want to speak to that issue? Uh, I know even in the COVID relief package, like it was a huge win for fossil fuel companies. This is insane. Absolutely. That is one of our, our biggest um, concerns that basically is corporate welfare. You know, nobody likes socialism, you know, until it's socialism for 
you know, corporate welfare. And then in Ohio, Jobs Ohio got like $65 million to have an incentive for, for building the, the PTTG cracker plant. So at this time to think what that money could do instead for our local communities and our schools and, and you know, just trying to survive this pandemic. And it's kind of just, you know, nothing is like surprises me anymore, but it, it just really, I think, speaks to morals you know like like if you look at a budget where money is going that that tells you what your morals are Mm -hmm. and someone's lying about their morals because when it does not reflect (laughs) what (laughs) you know what what they say their morals are when you look at where money is going um and it has to be addressed and we're that's what we're doing here building a movement that will address all the issues not just environmental issues yeah kind of like um i was just thinking of the arc the appalachian regional commission like their newsletter is always about vets and and addicts planning plants to reclaim coal mine strip Uh mines uh but like their money is like they're cheerleading the appalachian storage hub too and it's when you put money in the storage hub you you don't put money in these other smaller scale projects that help more people for less money and serve Wall Street less um, because Wall Street likes really big projects because they can move a lot of money at once. Or for for crying out loud, if you want to fund a a large energy project in our region, why not base it on something sustainable, a renewable energy project, right? Um, Just let me remind listeners, uh, we're having a great community conversation about resisting the petrochemical build-out here in the Ohio River Valley on Forward Radio's Truth to Power. My name is Justin Mogg. We've got four guests from the People Over Petro Coalition. You just heard from Alice Melendez from Extinction Rebellion, Kentucky. Uh, In Pittsburgh, we've got Kelsey McNall uh, from the Climate Reality Project and Josh Eisenfeld from the Fair Shake Environmental Legal Services and People Over Petro. And in Ohio today, joining us from Cincinnati is Mary Aguilera from the Buckeye Environmental Network and the Ohio Poor People's Campaign. Uh, I want to talk, too, about how important this coalition work is. I mean, even just on this uh, program, we've got so many different organizations and and cities and parts of the Ohio River Valley represented. Um, I think it's really showing us that to be effective in resistance we need to join hands across regions across organizations uh there are many potential partners for this resistance right yeah absolutely none of our individual organizations can do this work alone and i think especially regarding the petrochemical issue in the ohio river valley it's so important that we all work together because these issues span state borders and so one thing that happens in one state is going to affect another state so for example if a practice is banned in pennsylvania something like storing oil and gas waste underground um, that's something that's going to affect ohio where we'll just ship our oil and gas waste to ohio Mm. and so we need to have solidarity and relationships um, and a mutual strategy with folks in these different states. And so we don't just ship our problems elsewhere, but really work together to address the root cause of the issue. 
and and we need to resist an industry that works in coalition, right? Like they pay lobbyists, <laughs> right, to work Absolutely. on this kind of stuff, right? Uh, so it's not just like one plant or one company uh, that's that we're trying to resist. Um, so you need a coalition to beat a coalition in a sense, right? Absolutely. It's all connected. We have like the raw materials for the plastic production coming from fracking that's taking place all across the Ohio River Valley. And then you have the pipelines that are spanning states and counties and regions, um, bringing this raw material to these different facilities that are also all across the region. And then you have the storage hub, um, the Appalachian storage hub that's going to be storing the raw materials in caverns for this. And so all of these things, they span different states and they really require a coordinated effort to try and fight this build out. And ironically, they would probably use the term ecosystem. We have an industrial ecosystem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Josh, you wanted to add something? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that what you said about the industry having this coalition is is so important. And one of the things that, that my organization has been talking a lot about internally is this idea that like, you know, we are constantly in the emergency room in the work that we do. Oh, we're, yeah. we're like, we're always behind the eight ball. We're yeah. always reacting to what an industry that we know is bad for our community is is doing. But and 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 this coalition, these coalitions help us act more like the industry does. It allows us to stop and think for a second and not be like. 10 years behind the industry and we can start getting ahead and start proposing solutions like we were doing just, you know, a few minutes ago. It's so important that we stop being in the emergency room and stop being reactive to the industry and just start saying, you know what, forget them. Mm-hmm. We're going to work together. We're going to work with our neighbors and we're going to come up with a better option for all of us. And we can only do that through coalitions. Well, uh, we, we're, we're not quite, we've got 15 minutes left or so, uh, but certainly one thing I know we wanted to talk about uh, is this whole issue of barge facilities on our Ohio River. Getting back to the river itself, it is still a means of transportation, but mostly for industry and not people anymore. Uh, and um, the people over Petro Coalition, I know, is organizing uh, to get uh, some public input uh, about this issue. Uh, There's an August 7th hearing uh, that will have happened by the time we hear this uh, about barge facilities that the Army Corps is permitting on the Ohio River to accept fracking waste. And comments and requests for additional information can be submitted uh, to the Army Corps uh, at celrh.north at usace.army.org. Dot M-I-L. And I will include that link in the show notes for this program. But I also want to let people know that NoCrackerPlantOV.com is a great place to go to keep up with all of this. And uh, if you're here in Kentucky on Facebook, uh, XRebelKY is another place to go to get information about it. They're accepting uh, public comment through 4 p.m. on August 17th. So folks still have time uh, to, to submit their comment. Mary, do you want to uh, talk about this issue? Yes. Yeah, so they are going to build a facility. I think there's three facilities. Josh, you might have some more information on that exact um, or, or Kelsey. But I know that about this one facility specifically, the, the Deep Rock um, so they're going to be taking all different types of waste, and that will include radioactive fracking waste from different states. And 
they've tried this in the past. Um, and it's, I guess it was knocked down. There was a bunch of other issues going on at the same time. They had like 7,000 comments and, um, you know, it was a few years ago and it, it never wound up um, coming into being. And now, you know, they're, I think they're kind of taking advantage of the fact with COVID, nobody's really paying attention because they're yeah. literally trying to survive. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so, you know, people are distracted and they're not paying attention and, um, and, and understandably. So um, they want to uh, take this this waste coming from these different places because nobody else wants it and, and, and nobody else. Um, I think they have laws that keep them from dealing with it. So um, we get stuck with it and um, they're going to have uh, have it transported and stored uh, on the river and then um, transferring it to the, the different facilities where it's going to be used. Um, and I think that's about it. Josh and, and Kelsey, you want to add? Man, what could possibly go wrong? Putting fracking waste right, exactly. on barges on our Ohio exactly. River. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only thing I, I would, would add um, is just that I, I think one thing I, I learned just, just recently uh, in our call the other night was that I, I think it's still very uncertain what they're doing with this why they're choosing the river to transport we heard from one individual who seemed to believe it was like just to like transport across the river like no more than that just to like take it from one side of the river to the other uh because they were having problems with trucks going up a hill to take it to the site that currently existed and they could just do it better by like putting it in a barge to take it over the river to put it into it didn't really make much sense and there's just so little clarity uh, right, and right. I think that's, you know, that's the biggest, one of the major issues is, you know, when we're, when a community is trying to make a decision for itself on what is right and what is wrong, and they're already up against a multinational corporation or even just a million dollar corporation, let's say, let's make it a closer to a fair fight. They, and they have no information on whether they want this thing or not, except for it'll provide jobs and it'll allow an industry to perpetuate itself, which you all know well. Uh, how are they supposed to say anything but like yes i guess like <laughs> right like it's it, so I, I think what is very clear here is we don't know enough about what is going on um we would love to know more and so we're lucky enough that in this time at least one one of the three barge docks had enough people saying hey i want to know more information uh that they said okay fine we'll give you more information but for the other two the one in Meigs County, right? I think that's, and then the one just upstream uh, in uh, Martin's Ferry, they didn't get a public hearing. They were not given the same thing that this, so you've got one out of three where people were like, where the Army Corps of Engineers said, okay, fine, we'll have a public, Wow. Uh, not, not a public hearing for you, a, a public meeting. So we're not even really sure what that means either. We have given them a bunch of questions and we'll see what we, questions we get answered very unclear what we're getting out of this public meeting. It's only one of three where they're even willing to let the public know wow. what's going to happen. Well, and where liability is so, and all those kinds yeah. of issues. How, what would, what would be a protection plan, a cleanup plan, all that kind of stuff. Right. right. Exactly. And there's actually been a spill. There was a gentleman on, on this call. We had a, like a, a community call and he was talking about um, the rivers just now um, recovering the muscle, yeah. um, endangered muscles are just now recovering from a spill from a different company. Um, and, and the, 
the likelihood that there will be a spill and there will be an accident is very, very high. Um, we had, you know, we've had the, the coal barges running into the bridges and we've had, yeah. you know, um, like you said, like what could possibly go wrong? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I think so this whole issue with the movement of oil and gas waste on the Ohio River, it really just highlights, I guess, the ugly side to this industry. So you hear industry talking about how the Ohio River Valley were sitting on top of abundant natural gas and how we're close to, um, like, supply is close to the demand. So it's so great that we do these things here. Hmm. And it just sounds like everything's all well and good. But then you look at all of the impacts of this industry and all the waste that's produced and how that's also going to be stuck within our communities and how, you know, it's something that has such a profound impact. And so another thing we heard during the Northeast Petrochemical Conference was some complaints about the impacts of renewable energy and the impacts of things like solar panels and wind panels. And that's something that definitely all of us as activists and environmentalists that we need to grapple with and recognize that all materials come from somewhere. And Alice was talking earlier about how we can work to sort of um, recycle these materials and get the minerals we need from our dumps and landfills. But industry likes to call out renewable energy for all of these background impacts of, you know, mining for the rare earth metals and everything. But if you look and take a full look at the full impacts of, of fracking and of petrochemical production and the burning of fossil fuels, you get these horrible, ugly things like the the barging of radioactive liquids on the Ohio River, the drinking water source for 5 million people. And so it just creates this whole messy picture of what's going on here. Yeah, the radioactivity is another whole scary piece. Uh, we, we, we should probably speak a little bit about what we mean when we say fracking wastes. Does anyone want to explain what these are? They're liquid waste, right? Well, fracking yeah. waste actually can come in a, a lot of different forms. Okay. Liquid is the one that we're talking about right now. Uh, when we're talking about these barge docks, uh, you know, that could be wastewater that's coming back, ancient uh, seawater, as they like to, to call it. It sounds <laughs> trendy and cool. They like to remarket it as the ancient <laughs> seawater. But that ancient seawater comes back with naturally occurring radioactive materials in yeah. it. But there's also, you know, there's there's also drill cuttings, which are like, you know, if you imagine when they're drilling these wells, you stick a big down and you core a sample out, there's going to be dirt that comes back up and that has the same radioactive materials in it and they're more heavily concentrated. Mm. You use this, this water over and over again and they, it mixes with different types of uh, sediment materials and it creates this stuff called sludge, which also is like extremely radioactive. Wow. Um, so you have like three... And then you also have like all the equipment that then it becomes radioactive as well that they have to get rid of it too. So you have different types of waste streams that come from the industry and all of them are radioactive to different extents. And the um, more that you run it, the more you reuse a set of water or like the more that an equipment piece has material pumped through it, the more you concentrate the radioactivity just like, like distilling. It's just like making alcohol stronger. It's the same idea. The more that you 
repeat use, repeat use, and then you're also mixing it with with solvent chemicals, you know, because you've got to use a whole cocktail of chemicals, which like isn't public knowledge because it's trade secret in order to make the fracturing work, you know, most efficiently to break up the rock. Well, those chemicals are in this wastewater too. And it's also just worth thinking about the volume of water we're talking about because it's like tens of millions of gallons of fresh water per well. Yeah. And like that water is precious. Yeah. You know, and you run up against the the limits to water quicker out west, but like it's a real concern here too. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah. On on the call the other night, um, again, my memory is a little uh, Josh or, or Kelsey if we can remember I'm pretty sure they said what the acceptable level of radioactivity in drinking water is like 60 you know I don't know exactly Pico, what the terms are grams per Pico curious yeah or something. yeah and then what the Army Corps of Engineer is considering safe for this whole thing is like 200 wow or something so um I you know Kelsey or Josh I don't know if or were you on the call, Alice? I can't remember. So yeah. um, if you can speak to, I'm pretty sure that that's what came out. And that's really scary. <laughs> Sorry, I, I missed. Are you talking about the, the level of radioactivity? Yeah, that the, that the Army Corps is saying is acceptable. It sounds like it's more than double uh, what we traditionally think of as safe. Well, so they were saying that this is this is what could be carried in these barges and maybe up to this level. And yeah, and that's very common for anything that's transporting yeah. fracking waste as what we consider acceptable. Yeah. And like water and also drinking water is, so, you know, the, the term or that, that saying of the solution to pollution is dilution is, yeah. is what we're talking about here. Right. <laughs> right like right, right. It, you know, they know that even if that 2000 Pico curious per liter in this one tank spills into the Ohio river, it will still be under, the five pico curies that is needed for safe drinking water it's a big river yeah what? <laughs> right. exactly that's that literally that's about this that's that's all the calculation they're doing is what you just said oh it's a big gosh. river. like it'll be okay <laughs> well we need to start least- moving towards wrapping up so i just wanted to end with some positive notes some uh action items for our listeners to get involved again no cracker plant ov.com for ohio valley uh is a great place to go to get information any other resources or action items people want to share before we wrap up uh, i would recommend a... oh sorry <laughs> I'm go. another page and then uh, shift to you mary but uh charles eisenstein is doing a free course right now called political hope when this show airs it's going to be on the tail end of free so you're going to have to like <laughs> binge watch it or pay for it but it's like 30 minutes a day and his basic message is a really uh, beautiful one to hear. And so, yeah, Charles Eisenstein, he's got a lot of really great writing um, right now, too. But uh, his course, Political Hope, is free right now. Great. Mary, what did you want to share? Yeah, so um, there's a great movie out called The Story of Plastic. And so if people see that anywhere, that's, that really is a must to kind of understand all the these issues kind of come together in, in that movie yeah. and, and are really laid out real well. And then um, we, all of us have been a, a part of uh, a digital series this summer called the Impacts of Plastic. So if you go to impactsofplastic.com, um, we have a, a 
session coming up. It's our last session for the summer and then a fall summit. And it's going to be around climate. We're going to have uh, Leanne Leiter of Earthworks and uh, Jed Alegado of Break Free from Plastics from the Philippines and kind of this kind of global perspective, but also from a local perspective of what's going on in the Ohio River around the plastic industry. Terrific. Well, I'm afraid we're all out of time, my friends. Josh, do you want to share something really quick or Kelsey? I was just going to hop on and do a quick uh, plug that we, uh, my organization, Fair Shake Environmental Legal Services, is holding a series of webinars called Community Democracy, nice. where we're trying to help people get ahead of this curve and, and take back their communities. Uh, and you can find out more about that on our Facebook page. It's Fair Shake Environmental Legal Services. And the, the final plug that I'll add here is just to follow the People Over Petro Coalition on Facebook. Most of these events and event series that we've been talking about will be posted on that Facebook page. So you can get all of that good information there. Wonderful. I thank you all for joining me on Truth to Power today. This has been such a rich discussion, but always feel like it's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Like there's so much that we need to learn and organize around. Uh, so thanks for joining me today uh, and, and keep up this great work, everyone. Thank you. Thank we you. Will. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure. All right. Stay tuned to Forward Radio. Lots of great stuff coming up, and we'll be back in your ears again in one week's time. Here on the People's Radio 106.5 FM and live streaming to the world at forwardradio.org. Remember, we rely entirely on your contributions to keep this great radio magic happening every week, to keep truth to power being spoken. So go to forwardradio.org and click on Donate, and for 20 bucks, you could sponsor this entire day's broadcast. And we'd also love to have you in on these great community conversations and the way to do that is to go to fordradio.org and click on participate let us know what you want to do whether it's a one-time access hour or you want to be a guest on this program or any other program or maybe you wanted to do, start a brand new weekly show we got plenty of room on our schedule for you this is radio for the people by the people and that means the people have taken control of the airwaves and you my friends are part of the people and we want your voices so go to fordradio.org and get involved in this radioactive project this media activism to get the truth out there on on the airwaves, perspectives you won't hear anywhere else on your radio dial or on your internet radio, right? You get it all here, well, locally relevant, uh, like a whole program on the petrochemical industry's threat to our region here in the Ohio River Valley. You're not going to hear that anywhere else but forward radio. So if you value it, we need you to support it with your volunteer time and your donations at forwardradio.org. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And Truth to Power will be back again next week. My name is Justin Mogg signing off. Stay safe, everyone. Stay masked up. Stay six feet apart. Save a life.